Thanks to that piece of lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast. Bash us. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast. I'm Eric Dim, your most complained cop, NYPD. And along with me is John McCary, the founder and the co-host of the podcast. How you doing, brother? Good, bro. Hanging in, man. Listen, uh, we got an episode that we think you guys got to you guys got to watch. Uh, we attended the October monthly CCRB meeting. It just leads the question in my head and Eric's head. I think in anybody that watches this. Is the Civilian Complaint Review Board fair and impartial? Are New York City police officers getting fair and impartial investigations? I think this is going to show the clearest evidence that you're not. I don't know where the unions are. I don't know where the NYPD supposed leadership is. Um, but, you know, let's get into it. Eric, what would you, would you think that you were allowed to speak at this one? You didn't get your First Amendment denied this time. Um, what do you think? Yeah, well, first and foremost, right, for most of our viewers that have been watching episode after episode, they should be pretty much on par that I made a complaint with the CCRB for being denied my First Amendment right to speak at the last meeting. But let me just circle back and talk about what we're seeing. So John and I, we're seeing a pattern. We've attended now three different CCRB monthly meetings. So every month there's an actual meeting from the CCRB that's conducted where people are actually present. They have an opportunity to speak it. And there's issues that are discussed. But ultimately, the main focus is to actually and actually enable and teach and educate the public on how to make a complaint against the police if you feel that you've had some type of alleged misconduct. So John and I have attended three meetings. And what we can tell you is this. The NYPD is never present at these meetings, and neither are the unions. So the only leadership that's been actually present with a police perspective at these CCRB, CCRB meetings is New York's finest retired and filter podcast to retired lieutenants. And again, what we're seeing is a pattern. And the pattern is this, educate the public to make complaints against the police in order to have these complaints substantiated. There's no two-sided investigations. They're not making any determination to see the totality of circumstances for the police. It's just through one lens, and that is of the actual civilian and of what they felt in, a, in an encounter. And the other issue that we're seeing is that the Civilian Complaint Review Board is going outside their purview. It's supposed to be force, abuse, discourtesy, and offensive language. That's a, extremely problematic of what we're seeing. Absolutely. I mean, and, and just, to, just to back up on what Eric's saying, he said that there's no police presence, but there is... A, a police commissioner appointee and its former chief Joe Fox. Um, we have largely heard him be completely silent at these meetings, especially when these larger issues are raised. Um, there, so in my opinion, there is no police perspective there. Um, you're not getting a fair and impartial. A hundred percent, his vote and his voice will be outweighed on that board. That is without a doubt, and I'm not denying that for one second. But he has no other support other than himself. And I don't even believe he's advocating on your behalf either. I don't know what he's saying in closed door meetings, but like we always say, the truth is hard love. And sometimes in public, we have to have hard conversations with the public like we do every day on New York City streets, like me and Eric did from, you know, for 18 years, both of us, we had hard conversations, not only with the public, but with, with our managers, with our subordinates and that, those hard conversations aren't happening there. There are absolute lies being told there. Um, let's just get right into it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up with the first video. You're going to hear the chair of the CCRB. She's the mayoral appointed chair, Arva Rice. You're going to hear her opening remarks. Me and Eric came there to speak about something else. But again, the meeting goes sideways and they bring up the Treywalk uh, Kowalski case. Uh, for you, those of you guys that aren't familiar with it, Trey Walk was a, a mentally disturbed individual. He lived in a group home. Cops responded to a 911 call there. And unfortunately, Trey Walk Kowalski charged the night charged at police officers with a knife. Police officers were left with no other choice but to discharge their weapon. And Trey Walk lost his life. Horrible, terrible incident. Let's get into what the CCRB chair had to say about that. 
I want to update you all on the Kowalski Treyuk case. Many of you have followed the CCRB's investigation and prosecution of the, of, of the officers who killed Kowalski Treyuk. A few weeks ago, it was reported that the deputy trial commissioner who oversaw the trial is recommending not guilty for both officers on all accounts. Today, the CCRB submitted our responses to this decision to the police commissioner. It is clear that misconduct was committed in this case, and we believe the evidence speaks for itself. The CCRB has proven what it needs to, and we have re-argued our case to the police commissioner. We expect him to hold these officers accountable for their actions. Much of the discussion around this case is the delays that slowed the investigation, namely waiting over a year and a half to receive body-worn camera footage and other evidence from the NYPD. This case re-emphasizes the need to have direct access to body-worn camera footage and the importance of Speaker Adrian Adams' bill to grant the CCRB that direct access. We thank Speaker Adams for her support and hope the rest of the City Council will support this bill as well. I would also like... Well, first and foremost, before we actually discuss her statement here, I just want to circle back just to show the public, especially my cops that watch this podcast, what the Civilian Complaint Review Board thinks of cops. They think that you're idiots, you're morons, and they could pull the wall over your head. And I'll tell you why. I was denied my First Amendment right to speak. And I had told John after the meeting that we attended, watch, they're going to say that either there was a glitch in the system or I'm some type of idiot and moron and I don't know how to use the webinar. So sure enough, before I had the opportunity to speak, the tone was completely different this time than last because I made a complaint with the DOI. So the Civilian Complaint Review Board got caught with their pants down. And what they said to me was, oh, Mr. Dim, what a pleasure that you're here and you're going to have an opportunity to speak. This time, I spoke before anyone else. And usually that doesn't happen, particularly with the virtual attendees. And she said, Mr. Dim, I, I, we just want to make sure that the webinar is working properly and that you know how to use everything. It seems it's working much better this time. Almost putting the onus that there was potentially a glitch or I'm just a complete idiot. But anyway, let's talk about this response because ultimately it really changed the course of the meeting. What John and I intended to speak about because it's important that we talk about this case. So what I want to say first is extremely important. She says that there was a lag because of receiving the body camera on doing the investigation. So here's what I say. The Civilian Complaint Review Board could have figured out this case in the same amount of time that they actually watched the video, in seconds. Why? That's the only thing that should have mattered, is the actual encounter. Whatever happened up to that encounter, how the cops responded, their tactics, how they got inside the building, how they treated that building, what they thought of when they got there, did it matter? Civilian Complaint Review Board is supposed to investigate force, abuse, discourtesy, and offensive language. This is a force case. The question should be, did the cops use the necessary force in this particular encounter? That's it. John, what do you think of that? I, I think they're totally outside of that purview. I think if they want to investigate the entry and if they want to investigate the, 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 the deployment of the taser and anything in between that, they have the they have the authority to investigate that. I think once the firearm discharge happens, it's completely out of their purview. That is not a fatal use of force. That is a homicide investigation. That is for FID to investigate. That is for a district attorney's office to investigate. These officers were cleared. They were cleared. They were cleared by the NYPD. They were cleared by district attorneys. They were cleared by the NYPD, uh, the FID, right? So they're clear. They're in the clear at this point, in my opinion. Now they're being brought up on their third trial and by an over by, by a, a third party watchdog who's completely stepping outside of their purview. I, I and even in those instances, the entry and the taser, I still do not believe that they should be involved in this investigation in any sense of the matter. How many investigations do do officers have to be tried on? simultaneously i mean how many is it it's ridiculous we had a district attorney's office who didn't do anything that said they were good you had the nypd investigator that said they didn't do it good and again this is a homicide investigation this is not a fatal use of force it's completely outside of their purview and again you're seeing her push back on the time frame why these why it took so long to investigate when traditionally we see that the ccrb 
takes forever to investigate. And they're just looking for more access to more body camera, not putting any onus on themselves. They're blaming the NYPD for it. So I, th I think her statement's completely off. Um, and I just think it, it shows it's just another they're just completely trying to overstep and gain more investigative authority. And they want the authority. She does say it in the meeting. I don't have it on camera. But if you watch the entire meeting, go on CCRB.com. She says uh, she basically says that they want the final say in authority which is very scary because, again, you just made it through two different investigations and now you have to go to a third investigation where we're going to where we believe that it's biased and it's not fair and impartial. You know, um, so I, I think that's what what you're you, what you'll see. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the, the Trey Waka uh, Kowalski case, we're going to play the body camera video. You're going to see when the officers open the door. Um, the video is ready available. New York Post, the city put out a video. It's all different videos. You're only going to see up until the part where he charges the officers with the knife. You will not see the firearm discharge. There's no need to to, to show that. We're not going to show it. But he he basically charges charges the officers and says, "I'm going to kill you," and they they discharge him. He loses his life. So I'm going to play the body camera video uh, now. In the hold it down. Drop the knife. Why? Why is my door? Drop the knife. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a my yeah. yeah. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. Put the knife down, please. Hold it, hold Sir? it. Sir, the center, the center, the center of the bridge. <laughs> You know, I would love the opportunity to have a conversation with Arbor Rice, and I'd actually like to challenge her statement where she said the evidence, which is the body camera, will clearly show, clearly, she said it's clear that the police showed misconduct. Now, I want to contradict that, contradict that absolutely 180 degrees. She's absolutely wrong. She has no police experience. First of all, just the entry in itself. Under the Payton rule, which is case law, just shows they have inadequate investigations and they have no knowledge. But under the Payton rule, which is case law, police officers have the right to enter based on the emergency exception. The emergency exception is that you have someone who's obviously screaming and yelling. The cops do not know what's behind that door. Someone could be getting stabbed. There could be someone who's at risk of death. The cops have to enter. That's the emergency exception. So as far as the claim of abuse authority, that's out the window. Now, again, they have the taser in hand. And just the fact they actually tried to apply the taser just shows the amount of restraint. I don't even think they had to do that. The FBI did a study that the taser is effective 49% of the time. That means the flip of the coin. John, you and I talk about this offline. It's probably even less. I think the FBI is actually being really nice when it comes to those statistics. I think it's completely obvious. You're dealing with something, someone that is completely deranged, going through some type of psychosis. Does that matter if they're mental crisis or not? The point is they're in a confined space. He charged that them with a knife. They have to deploy their firearms. They acted completely appropriate. It's tragic, but it's necessary. Thousand percent. I mean, he wasn't lucid. He um, for those of you that that aren't that are on audio that can't see the video, he's actually closing distance as he's talking to the officers. He's closing distance on them. He's getting closer and closer with a large butcher knife in one hand and a broomstick in his left hand. In his right hand, he has a knife and he's closing distance, but he's he's almost incoherent. And you hear him start to verbalize. The cops get scared, so they deploy the taser. Um, taser drops him, but he doesn't drop the knife. 
he falls back he starts screaming he runs back into the in, in back into his apartment and then he charges directly at the officers with the knife as he gets way within their zone of safety uh you know unfortunately the officer had zero choice choice at that point but to discharge his firearm um to stop the threat he did uh kowalski lost his life um that's how new york city police officers are trained that if someone is within 21 feet of you and they are charging you with a knife and inside of your zone of safety that you will discharge your firearm at them and i believe that is the proper training um i'm not I believe that is the proper tactics and that is the training that is what police officers are called to do fortunately a young man lost his life um and i think that we're not having a fair conversation new york city um as a whole the new york city mayor the nypd police commissioner the ccrb is further victimizing this family um unfortunately their son lost their life because of his own actions but because of our inability and our lack of courage to speak the truth to this woman, you're going to hear her testify now and speak on her her process. And I understand this is this is a tr it's a tragedy for our son's death. She's never coming back. She's never going to see him again. I mean, I don't think anyone takes this in any way, shape, or form a loss of life as as a joke as anything. Like this is horrible. Uh, it's horrible for everyone. Those cops are never going to be the same either. They didn't want to go there. They responded to a 911 call. So I'm going to play, I'm going to play Kowalski's mom. Um, and, and, you know, I, and this is really where I get very angry. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Ellen Trawick and I am the mother of Kowalski Trawick. Kowalski was killed April 14, 2019 by NYPD officer Brandon Thompson and Herbert Davis. Uh, it's been kind of rough for my family and I because we live in Georgia and we have been having to travel back and forth to demand justice for Brandon Thompson and Herbert Davis taking Kowalski's life. A couple of weeks ago, we learned that Deputy Maldonado has signed a recommendation that the charges be dismissed misconduct and illegal entry and I just it's hard for me to accept that because it's not right Brandon Thompson and Herbert Davis took Kowalski life and they should be held accountable for that in her report she's saying that the statute of limitation had passed the reason why the charges were being dismissed, knowing that the NYPD held the evidence for 21 months. And that's not right. So my family and I are asking that the mayor and the commissioner meet with us, the Treywick family and our team that has been supporting us the Justice Committee before a final decision is made. He has made a comment that he would meet with us after a decision is made. But what good would that do for my family? These officers need to be held accountable. And we're asking the CCRB to continue to fight for us, continue to fight that these officers are fired because if not, this will continue to happen. They will continue to hold evidence in police killing and that's not right. So that's what my family and I are asking that the CCRB continue to fight for us to have these officers fired and that Mayor Adams Commissioner Caban meet with us before a decision is made. You know, that was a powerful statement, and there's a lot of meat on the bone in what she says. First off, I want to say, listen, do I send my condolences? Is it tragic? Absolutely. No matter what, whether he was suffering through mental illness or if he had substance abuse, I don't know his background. 
It's probably one or the other or both. But no matter what, he was her son. I have children, you have children. We all, most of us do, and we understand. We love our children no matter what their vices are, no matter what their capabilities are, and you should. But what's wrong here is the silence. It's cowardice. And I, I say it all the time. John and I say it on this podcast. Opposition meets opportunity. Communication breaks barriers. Communication disarms people. It's the step to moving forward. The police department in silence is cowardice. And by lying to this mother, exactly what you said, they re-victimizing her because they led her to believe that the statute of limitations ran out, and that's why they had found not guilty. So basically the innuendo is that the cops did act wrong and that her son's life could her son could have been preserved his life and he could have been saved and the, the outcome could have been different. That's where it's extremely cowardice, especially on the mayor and the police commissioner. Instead of parting a concertos and going to a, a summit in Qatar, they can have a real conversation with this mother and break down the barriers and they can build something together moving forward so this doesn't happen again through helping mental health, through understanding the training of a police officer. That's how we move forward. But through the silence is complete cowardice and lead her to believe that the outcome could have been different. What they should say is, this is the way we train our officers. It's unfortunate, but they have to go home. It's a tragic situation. Look at this body camera with us, ma'am. Let us show you what we see. This is what we see. Your son here is armed with a knife. Zone of safety, yes. 21 feet, whatever feet. I don't care what feet they train you. I can tell you this. Zone of safety is what you feel. That's what zone of safety is. And a normal person, because police officers go through a psych, if someone is in, with, in feet of you holding a knife, you should be scared. And if you're not scared, I don't want you as a police officer because you're not normal. So this is a fearful situation. That's the conversation they should be having with the mother. It's completely irresponsible and it's completely inadequate, poor leadership. Every one of them should get out. And if the mother ever has an opportunity to, to see this, John and I would love to talk to you and tell you what we saw so this doesn't happen again, so that someone's not going through a mental health episode and pulls a knife out on two police officers so the police officers don't have to respond with their firearms. That's how we move forward. Absolutely. It's it's complete cowardice on the part of the NYPD. It's complete cowardice on the part of New York City Mayor Eric Adams. They'll hide behind the fact that they're worried about um, they're worried about legal ramifications when the family sues. I'm not I'm not aware if they have or have not, but they'll speak with plenty of people that sue New York City all the time and they never have a problem. But they hide behind it when it's inconvenient for them to have a, a real conversation. I do believe that Deputy Commissioner Trials Rosemary Maldonado should be fired for her statement that they are not being prosecuted because of the statute of limitations. Um, that in itself, again, like you said, she's basically finding the officers guilty. And if she believes that the officers are guilty, that should be clearly written in there as to what they did wrong and to what that misconduct is. I don't like to he you hear the word misconduct without clearly defining it. Um, I know the you know, I know whatever executives are going to listen to this. And I've actually we've spoken to them and I, and, and I appreciate all your guys opinions on everything that we put out. Uh, but what we heard overwhelmingly from from people in the executive rank and even even in our own ranks of a, of a middle management, a supervisor, is they could have backed out and tied off the door. Um, for those of you that don't know, police officers are given a shield in their trunk, which is a ballistic shield, um, not to be used to fight for uh, fighting against a knife. If someone charged you with the knife in that sheet, when you had that shield, that's ballistic. Um, it would behoove you to still continue to pull out your firearm and shoot them because that shield is not going to protect you from a knife. Um, the ESU guys, um, they wear the big padded uh, vest that protects the neck. And they do that because if somebody charges them with a knife, it will slide up and, more than likely lodge inside of their neck. So they wear a, a, a big protection. Police officers aren't there. Another thing is a rope we're giving. I don't know how you tie off a project door in the hallway of a project. I don't even know how that's possible. I, I, and I was never even trained on how to tie off a door. 
at all. So I don't even know how you can do that. And my other thing is the man's experiencing a, a, a mental health crisis. He's a danger to himself and others at that point. Uh, John Dosh will say he's not. I, I do not agree. We'll, we'll get into that later. But he will say at that point he wasn't because the fire department was there and they left. That does not alleviate the, the police department from their responsibility to, to investigate on their own and make that determination on their own. If we tie him off and somebody's in that apartment, a child, a woman, a worker, whoever it is, and he kills them, we will be held responsible. If he kills himself, we will be held responsible. If he jumps out that window, we will be held responsible. I don't agree with any of those tactics. I believe that the, the proper pathway to safety for him is to try to quell that threat immediately, is to try to get him in handcuffs and get him to an ambulance immediately. The FDMY should not have left. He clearly is still a danger to himself just by what you see on that video. He still clearly is not lucid and he's a danger to himself. Um, so I, you know, I don't want to ramble on that fact, but I just think that the entry, the entry was good. And like Eric Dim said, this is 100% an emergency situation. The emergency exception is there. The people that advocate for the door tie, I don't believe really would tie off the door in that situation. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. Are you holding that door and what, and what is the game? I, th I think you're at a severe tactical disadvantage now. A hundred percent. If there's a weapon in that in that room, they could come back. You're holding that door. So you come back with a gun and shoot right through that door, and you're both dead. And I just think I, I just think those tactics itself need to be questioned and need to be relooked at because I think those those are horrible tactics. Uh, absolutely, I think that's well said. Again, you know, I think that the problem is is the the civilian complaint review board is really going outside their purview and they're trying to look at the entire span of events to find little intricate things that the police officers may have done inappropriately or may could have done different that led up to that encounter. And I've said this before. Let's just assume, let's say these two were the most laziest cops. They could have been the worst cops. They could have done everything wrong up to the point until they got the door. Maybe they, they could have been sleeping the entire day, woke up, went to this 911 call, Responded mosey along, didn't care it was an EDP building, which means a mostly disturbed person that, you know, occupied by people in mental crisis, didn't really look into it. Maybe they parked their car moseying along, maybe they double parked, maybe they went upstairs slowly, but when they got to that door and there was an emergency exception and they made entry and they encountered someone with a knife, and clearly we know that this person is in mental crisis because someone that is not in a mental crisis, if they see two uniformed police officers or anyone with a firearm, they're going to drop that knife because they don't want to die. So clearly we're dealing with someone in a mental crisis. But all those facts, and I think when it comes to civilian complaint review board, doesn't matter. It took them apparently months to do this investigation. Watch that video, and we can do the investigation right now. The man is armed with a knife, gets hit with a taser, gets back up and charged again. Their only recourse is to fire that weapon. Case closed. That's it. I don't even know why we're talking about this anymore. Where is the mayor? Where is the commissioner having a conversation? And more importantly, where are the unions? Again, I tell the cops, sergeants, lieutenants, anyone, why are you paying union dues? Seriously, in 2023, do we still need unions? If you're in that much of a pickle, you're going to get a private attorney. You still are. You still have a right to medical and dental. Why do we need these unions? Why are they not fighting for you? We are. Yeah, absolutely. And to the mother, if you're listening to this, you know, I send my condolences as well. And I think it's it's completely cowardly what they're doing. Um, I don't agree that the officers should be fired. And for all the reasons that we're stating, I have uh, individuals in my family, some that are here and some that are no longer here that have severe and have and had severe mental illness. And I wouldn't expect the cops to have done anything differently in that situation. That's coming from my heart. That's coming from my mind. I'm just letting you know that's that's exactly what cops are trained to do. I don't know a better way. If there's a way that we could come up with where people can't get hurt, then let, let's figure that out. Let's sit down and have those conversations. But as of right now, this is the way. I, I do agree with the tactics that we use. And if it was my uncle, if it was my cousin, if it was my own children, 
I wouldn't expect a different result. Um, we're going to get into Eric's testimony now. Eric uh, was denied, like we said, and 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 for the September meeting, and then, like he said originally, they open up with, "Oh, now you know everything works. We're glad you know how to use our WebEx now," even though he had attended previously. Um, so obviously, there wasn't a, a, a fair and proper investigation done into the DOI complaint we filed. Uh, it was laughed off, and but he got his, his opportunity to speak. Here we go, Eric Dim. I'm Eric Dim, retired lieutenant from the NYPD. I have been coined as the most complaint cop due to the city and an overzealous civilian complaint review board. I retired one year ago. During this time, myself and a fellow lieutenant, John McCarry, we both have pioneered New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast. And what we learned at the last CCRB meeting through, through a gentleman there who was from Africa, he had made a great statement. And he said that a police officer is once a law enforcement officer and two times a citizen. And I myself, I fit that bar. I attended the last meeting with all good intentions and goodwill to give police perspective from a retired lieutenant who's been coined as the most complained cop. I've been an advocate and extremely expressive for intrusive police work. At the last meeting, I was denied my First Amendment right to speak. I was contacted by the Civilian Complaint Review Board where it was told to me that there was potentially a glitch or that I I am either an idiot or a moron, and I did not know how to use the WebEx icon of raise hand. I'm very forgiving and understanding. However, as a citizen, a retired police officer, I believe that my perspective and my analysis of the police department and the correlation with the Civilian Complaint Review Board is extremely important and imperative. I've watched video and I've did my own analysis of this particular incident involving Kowalski Trawick. Tragic and unfortunate, the death of anyone or the loss of any life is extremely problematic and sad. However, police officers have seconds to make the most extreme decisions while the civilian complaint review board has admitted themselves that these investigations take months sometimes years and they're not actually investigated completely throughout its entirety yet police officers have seconds and on this particular incident on the day of his death police officers were provided with limited amount of information as they went to the scene of a 911 call trowick was in possession of a knife he was in disarray the police officers enter the apartment under case law of the emergency exception with limited information that they had. It was an unfortunate encounter. Now, I don't want to go too much as encounters, extremely tragic. I don't want to relive it for the family. However, these police officers are getting the blame. And this is what I find extremely problematic and the NYPD is not present here. This institution always blames the cops. It's easy, just blame the cops. They've already passed a layer, a layer from the district attorney's office. They've passed a layer from the NYPD that they operated within department guidelines. However, if the Civilian Complaint Review Board finds the optics of this problematic, there should be a convene with the New York City Police Department leadership and determine how to go forward if the training you feel does not apply to this particular case because cops are trained when someone is in possession of a knife that you need at least 21 feet distance to create safety. And the tests have been shown that if someone has less than 21 feet, they can get to that police officer before the police officer is able to retract their firearm. And in addition to that, the taser has been proven by the FBI to only be effective 49% of the time, which is a flip of the coin. I understand that my four minutes are up. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you listening. I will attend the next meeting. It's important that we speak from police perspective and analysis from retired members, active. It's unfortunate the NYPD is not there, but we need more discussions. I do say this quite often. Opposition meets opportunity. Communications break barriers. Thank you. Well, 
I guess I'll give perspective on my response. So it's unfortunate we only have four minutes. I need about four hours to actually speak to the Civilian Complaint Review Board. But it's exactly that. We actually have police perspective. And John, you and I were talking about this on offline before. Why aren't these executives who were once police officers, cops themselves, walking and beat in a patrol car, respond to calls that probably mirrored something just as this encounter? Not exactly the same because we always say it. Two calls are never the same, but there are calls that mirror each other and they have some similarities. How could they not put themselves in that position and say, hey, I'm Ed Caban, I'm the police commissioner, I'm the police commissioner. And if I was in that position, I would fire my weapon. I'm Tanya Kinsella. I'm the first deputy commissioner. And if I was in that position, I would fire my weapon. Mayor Eric Adams, if you were in that position, would you fire your weapon? And the answer is yes. But we're not hearing that. That's the strong conversations we need to have. You know what? We recently had an interview with Edwin Raymond, who was a spoken out cop, a whistleblower. And I'll give him credit. His book is called Inconvenient Cop, about inconvenient conversations. And the NYPD leadership is afraid to have those inconvenient conversations. And the only one that this becomes in inconvenient to is Trowick uh, himself his mother, the police department, and the public. That's who this is inconvenient to, not the NYPD leadership. Yeah, not having real conversation is greatly affecting public safety. You know, and, and you know, like we always say, oh, we, we, there should be a police perspective here because it should, it should, and it shouldn't just be a police perspective. There should be more of a civilian perspective too on what the cops are doing right, what they like, what they don't like that, the civilian complaint review board's doing or the NYPD or the mayor or whatever it is. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's where we're, we're trying to say is that like there needs to be different perspectives brought to the table and there needs to be honest conversation. And what you're seeing in New York City isn't like Eric brought up in his testimony. They were cleared by the NYPD, not found to have done anything outside of guidelines and NYPD policy. So what the hell is the CCRB investigating at this point? And again, it's a homicide investigation. Um, they're clearly reverse engineering the outcomes of these investigations. Uh, and you're going to hear it now. You're going to hear John Dosh's response. And I think that I think it's going to shock you because it, I'll tell you, it shocked me. It, it, it always shocks me when I, I people come out of their face and yell and scream or send threatening, disparaging text or emails or tweets or Instagram, you know, from the safety of inside four walls where no one's going to get hurt and they can't even control their emotions. But yet they're going to find you guilty when you do the same. They're going to say you were discourteous. They're going to say you uh, you abused your authority. You did all this. So we're going to hear him respond to Eric Dim. And he's going to talk about a lot about the things that Eric Dim left out, but I want you to listen to the main point that he leaves out. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Dim, for uh, uh, joining our conversation today and being diligent. I know that the WebEx uh, system can sometimes be a bit frustrating, but I'm happy that you were able to um, uh, to log in today. And we and I do appreciate your perspective. Um, whether we agree or disagree, um, I think it's important for us to be able to, to hear from uh, different perspectives. So thank you so much for calling today. And I'm going to ask our executive director to, to respond to some of the things that were raised. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, I think it's important to have a few other facts that Lieutenant Din left out of his description of what happened on that day with Mr. Trawick. Mr. Trawick lived in a supporting has housing unit. So the people who respond to a unit like that know that there are sometimes people who are engaging in uh, mental health issues or substance abuse issues that they should know that they need to take care when they're going to a situation like that. The fire department had responded to the 911 call to get Mr. Trawick into his apartment. And the emergency was over. Mr. Trawick was back in his apartment. The officers who responded knew that emergency was over. They drove around the, the block looking for a place to park. They sauntered in to the building. 
They walked upstairs. They banged open the door. And Mr. Trawick is in his studio apartment cooking and holding a knife. Mr. Trawick goes to turn down his music. It's so confrontational. It's so dangerous. He goes to turn down his music so he can speak to the officers. And in less than 112 seconds, Officer Thompson, despite Officer Davis physically trying to keep him from shooting Mr. Trawick, Officer Thompson tases him and shoots him four times. Not once, not twice, not three times, four times. Then they close the door and let him bleed to death while he's inside on the floor after they shot. So I think when you look at all of the facts and all of the circumstances around that case, you will see that they should not be police officers anymore. That God forbid you're in trouble, that you call 911 to get help and Officer Thompson comes to your door. Thank you for that, John. Um, I'm going to ask you. I think this particular statement should speak volumes to everyone, cops, civilians, everyone alike, should listen to that and say to themselves, is this someone that's actually an independent watchdog that's speaking from a professional mindset, educated on policing, educated on criticizing policing? He's speaking from complete emotion. He's showing right here his disdain for police officers and his disdain for police work. Because, again, he's talking about everything that's outside his purview. He's talking about how the police officers responded. goes back to what I was saying. It doesn't matter how they responded. That's for the NYPD. The NYPD makes the basis of who they hire, of how they evaluate their police officers. The Civilian Complaint Review Board has to analyze force, which you and I both agree, even this force case is outside the purview, abuse of authority, discourtesy, and offensive language. How they respond, what their demeanor is, walking to the building, that's not even in his purview. That just shows his frustration and angriness towards police officers because he just doesn't like them. Why aren't we talking about the actual case that's in the Civilian Complaint Review Board? In the encounter where he charged at the police officers with the knife, did they have a right to shoot him? That's it. Case closed. That's the only thing he should be talking about. If anything, maybe you want to talk about how they breached the door, which they were totally in their right under the emergency exception. He said that he was no longer a threat. He was in his apartment. Guess what? I guess you don't care about his own life because he was a threat to himself. And that's what he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand police work. He sure as hell doesn't understand mental crisis. And he sure... He doesn't care because he just said it. Absolutely. I mean, the, the level of angst that he showed while speaking about that, the, the part that particularly bothers me the most is when he says he was such a threat, making that a man standing there who's not lucid with a huge butcher knife who's not listening to you at all, who's gaining steps on police officers who are pointing a taser at them and saying, please drop the knife, sir. Please drop the knife, sir. And he doesn't understand that he's in danger. The, the, the fact that he is stating that he does not believe that's a dangerous situation, that is a very big problem for me. I was in the Internal Affairs Bureau. I was the, the Civilian Complaint Review Board liaison. I was the CCRB liaison. I was placed into that position to create a, a information share network, which I did, which they still use today. Uh, I stayed in that position for a little over a year before I left. Um, I spoke with John Darsh many times. I think that John Darsh is a nice guy. I think he's an intelligent guy. Um, I don't know how he could believe what he believes that, 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 that Trawick was not a danger to those officers, nor was he a danger to himself. The biggest failure that we won't hear, and he highlights it there, that you'll never hear in this whole thing, is that FDNY was there 
And then they let him go to his apartment where there were weapons. So if should FDNY had kept him there until the NYPD responded so that they could make the determination, Treywick would have never went back into his apartment. He would have been brought to the hospital, which he should have been because he was clearly a danger to himself. Treywick would be alive today. But again, we don't investigate the actions of any other agency here. We hold police officers accountable for everyone else's actions other than our own. And we're left to pick up the mess all of this. And that is the biggest failure that happened here with mental health. And you guys have seen it. And I got plenty of friends at NFD. I got plenty of friends at EMS. But there are times they don't want to deal with it because they're overwhelmed. They're overworked. Same as you guys. There's sometimes on, on, I'm not saying all cops are great either, but EDPs, DV jobs, missings, these should be handled to the letter of the law each and every time. When someone's a danger to themselves, they should be brought to be mentally evaluated. When someone's missing, go through the steps. When there's a violent situation in a home, make the arrests, lock everybody up. Because believe me, it's going to come back and get you. But nothing's coming back on FD here, which is wrong because they should have never let him go back upstairs. Why aren't they wearing body cameras? Why are we seeing that initial interaction? Why aren't we seeing that there? That is what led to that violent encounter. And the fact, John, that you don't believe that he was a danger to those officers or to himself, I have a hard time believing. I do. I have a hard time believing you. If you do, you're more than welcome to come on here. You could sit down and talk to us with gentlemen. We'll let you say whatever you need to say. We will not bash you. We will not speak over you. You could say whatever you like to ourselves and to our audience. Um, and then bring in my testimony. We'll, we'll go next. And then uh, I think we could start to close this out. How you doing? This is a retired NYPD Lieutenant John McCarry. I am the former CCRB liaison. I served in that role from 2015 to 2016. Um, very familiar with the CCRB process. Um, I just actually came here. I have a few questions, but before I I, uh, I ask the question, I just want to say to the last statement that John made, he left out a very vital point in the whole thing. The body camera video is available for anyone that wants to see it. And what he left out is that Unfortunately, Mr. Trawick charges a police officer with a knife in his hand. Now, I understand there could be questions leading up to that encounter, but that is, regardless if it's Officer Thompson, if it's myself, if it's any other officer, the fact remains, if you charge a police officer with a knife in your hand, they will discharge the firearm. That is part of their training. It will not be a taser. Now, I don't want to relive this for the family. It's terrible for them. It's a terrible, terrible loss of life. And I, I will never, ever diminish that ever for one second. Um, I just think that needed to be stated. And my other, my other question really is, is in regards to the profiling unit. Uh, I believe since 2017, the police department has been investigating profiling cases. Very little of those cases have been substantiated. And my question is that the CCRB is now going to take over those investigations and they will have a profiling unit. What is the reasoning that the NYPD was unable to substantiate the majority of these cases? And what will the CCRB be doing differently if any investigative steps to ensure that those cases are being fully investigated what will the difference be between the investigation and the nypd and the ccrb and my and my second follow-up question is how will you ensure that this is not going to be used disproportionately against male white officers and that's all i have um uh yeah let me ask you to take that so I believe that the out of 3,000 complaints that the NYPD investigated involving accusations of profiling, they substantiated four, 
over a four-year period. In the year, sorry, over an eight-year period. Thank you, Cleo. Uh, in the year that the CCRB has been conducting investigations, we have fully investigated 10 cases that the board has voted on, and we substantiated one complaint involving two members of service or profile. I, I think it is possible for officers of all races and all genders to profile. And it does not matter if you, if you are an officer of color or a female officer, it does not give you the, a, a free pass to profile. And so the CCRB will take profiling allegations seriously, regardless of the race or gender or gender identity of a member of service. You're muted. For one thing, I'll tell you this, it was a great question, but the question was never answered. He just tiptoed around it because the question was, what will the CCRB do differently than the NYPD did for their investigation. But I can answer it right now. For one, it's going to be reverse engineered. They're going to have a guilty verdict and then they're going to reverse engineer that investigation to, to have misleading statements in there. They'll lead the cop into misleading statements. And what did we also learn from their investigations after his response is that they based their judgment on emotion, anger, and frustration. It's completely ironic because they expect police officers, all law enforcement officers, to conduct themselves with the thickest skin possible, to be completely emotionally detached from situations, the most volatile police encounters. But the CCRB cannot even handle an inconvenient, I love this word, thank you, Edwin Raymond, an inconvenient conversation. It gets them angry and frustrated, and yet they hold the cops to a completely different standard, the ones that they criticize and make extreme critique. Talk about leading by example, right? But again, it's pretty much on parallel with this particular incident that we're talking about here today with Mr. Trowick and his unfortunate, untimely death. Because again, that this profiling investigations will mirror what we're seeing here. The NYPD cleared these two police officers, found no wrongdoing. They did their investigation, but now the Civilian Complaint Review Board substantiated and wants them removed from the police department. We're seeing two completely different standards, two different courts of opinion on the same incident. It really mirrors myself as the most complaint cop where I was, the district attorney did not want to look at the cases, found that I was acting appropriately. The NYPD was giving me awards and medals while simultaneously I was getting awards and medals from the community, but at the same time, I was getting substantiated guilty charges from the Civilian Complaint Review Board. So that's exactly how they go to investigate them, by emotion and find the police officers guilty and the reverse engineer. I find it very problematic that the main issue that happened here was Trey Wick had a knife in his hand and charged the police officers and that was conveniently left out of John Darsh's statement. It was conveniently left out. And not only was it left out, it was downplayed the fact that he had a huge butcher knife in his hand that was almost the length of his forearm, was like almost as long as his forearm was. It was completely downplayed as to he was such a danger. He was such a danger. I mean, I think that for me, if you can't tell when I'm talking, I actually get a little angry there because I'm like, this is, I can't believe that we're, we're not going to talk about this. We're just going to present the fact. And, and it just shows that the body camera is a great tool, right? But it depends who's looking at it and it depends who's using it. And today, New York City, CCRB, NYPD, that body camera is not being used properly. Doesn't matter what it shows. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say it again. And I've said it till I'm blue in the face. The body camera, not the body camera, but the video of Daniel Pantaleo cleared Daniel Pantaleo. And he was still fired. He was still fired for doing exactly what he was trained to do. And nobody wants to wake up to that fact. 
nobody wants to wake up to the fact that more people get substantiated now than they did prior to these body cameras. So how does it help you? I'm not understanding how you do not see this. It does not help you. I'm not saying that body cameras shouldn't be used. I'm not saying that you should your, your work should be hidden or you shouldn't be showed. What I'm saying is then if body cameras are such a great thing, every other profession should get yeah. them and they should be used properly. That's what I'm saying. And yes, John Darst did not answer my question about the profiling. He actually, from what I'm hearing, they only investigated 10,000. The NYPD investigated 8,000 cases and they, they, and, and, they, and they substantiated four of them. How they substantiated them, I'd love to know. I'd love to know what are the investigative steps taken for these profiling cases. Profiling is a feeling. You pulled me over because I'm married. You pulled me over because I have New Jersey plates. You pulled me over because I'm black. You pulled me over because I'm Italian. You pulled me over because you don't like bald guys. You pulled me over because of the music I was listening to. Profiling, 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 profiling. How do you prove that case? And the CCRB advocated to be charged of profiling. And what did they do? They investigated 10 cases. And out of the 10 cases, they substantiated uh, uh, one case, which is against two officers for profiling. How were those? What were the investigative steps? He did not answer that question. He danced around it. Then he shut the mic off. He thought about a second statement, puts the mic back on. And what does he say? What does he say? I do believe it's possible that that officers are of other races could profile. So basically, what he's saying is profiling is only against male white officers. That's basically what he 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 nailed my point with the second question, which he does answer. How, what will you do? You won't do anything because the, the, the charge in itself is being used disproportionately against male white officers. You take Officer Macari in the 123 precinct who locks up all Italian kids that look just like him. He probably never gets the, the profiling charge, regardless of how many arrests he has. You take blonde hair, blue eye Officer Dim in the South Bronx, that's 99.9% minority community. He's going to get that profiling charge a lot. And that's going to be, and where he works is not going to be taken into account. And he's going to be on a recidivist list or something like that. And that's going to be my next question in the CCRB. I don't believe, I believe based upon the preponderance of evidence that we brought here, we've, we've brought in clear and convincing evidence that the CCRB is not fair and impartial in these investigations. This is being very highlighted. Um, and I just want to bring you, I just want to bring us back. There was a, a public safety hearing a while back in New York city, uh, in New York city council, Bob Holden asked Oliver Rice, she's sitting there with John Dosh. He asked her if the totality, the totality of the circumstances are taken into account when they do these investigations. I want to listen. I want you to listen to her response. Based on if I'm getting bricks thrown at me or or firebombs thrown at me, and uh, there's no situation where Self-preservation kicks in. It's just sort of you know, let, don't curse at me or don't 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 uh, speak to me disrespectfully. And I'm, I'm I'm trying to get the situation that you have to take in everything that's going on, not just an isolated incident. So, like, what was the situation at the time? Were the were the police under attack? Were were cars being burned? Were were pro was property being damaged? Uh, th this all has to be taken into consideration. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So, and, I just, and I do want to, please, to, please. to restate, it's the Civilian Complaint Review Board. So what we are looking at is, is when a civilian is, interacts with the police department and they feel as if their rights were it is about our, our work is about the civilian. I just Thank want to you. underscore that. I mean, you heard it right here. I mean, you're seeing that the Civilian Complaint Review, the civilian complaint review Board is completely biased in their investigations. I think Bob Holden brings out a great point here. Do you look at the entire incident, right? Because it's exactly what I've been saying since the inception of this podcast, when you first interviewed me before we joined up together doing this podcast, is that it's not one person that you're dealing with. It's an entire incident. So, and I think what he's talking about is the George Floyd riots and the George Floyd incidents, right? So if you're working a George Floyd protest the day after a george floyd protest became an all-out riot what's in your mind 
you are going out there with your tactics. What are tactics? It's a plan. You're now planning for the worst. You're going out there with specific equipment, addressing a potential riot, and you already have in your mind that Molotov cocktails have been have been deployed to patrol cars in the city. Patrol cars have been hit with bricks. People have been jumping on top of cars. Police officers have been attacked. This is the mind frame that you have, and you're going into the fire, and now you're presented with a rioter who's now throwing a stick at you or some type of object, and now you respond. That all ties in, and that's what they're not talking about. That's the totality of the circumstances, but they're only talking about what the civilian felt, and the civilian felt the police officers acted aggressively, and maybe so, but there's aggressive control, and there's aggressive out of control. And aggressive control is necessary when the police officers under attack in a George Floyd riot. Absolutely. I mean, she clearly states there. They're not looking at the totality of the circumstance. They are not seeking the truth in the overall what went wrong. What did the officers do right? What did they do wrong? They're only looking to prove the charge that the civilian brought against the police officer. That in itself is is partial that in itself is biased you're bringing an investigation in a biased aspect i have to prove what this person says no you're supposed to prove what happened that's it third party i'm looking at it i'm looking at it i'm independent i'm not against the police officer i'm not for the civilian i'm not for the police officer i'm not against the civilian i am for what happened what went wrong that is not them clearly you see that clearly we have painted that tale uh miss rice if you'd like to come on too and you have any anything about anything that we're saying feel free bring on bring on john bring on whoever you'd like to bring the mayor with you whoever you'd like the police commissioner uh i don't believe the the case that we presented here today can be debunked because it's very obvious it's very obvious what's going on i know the unions are flipping out about what i tweeted i tweeted all this out in, in a breakdown and the, the comment just keeps coming back to me. Why do you care? Me and Eric keep getting and telling you, because we do. Why don't you? And I'm going to answer why you don't right now. And I'm going to tell you why you don't care. Because you don't care and you don't belong in the positions that you are in. Because you're cowardly, you're timidly, you will go along with anything for money. And that is who you are. That is why you hide from us. That is why you deny me and Eric. That is why the only thing you could say is bad tax against us, but you can't bring out any of our points on what we're saying wrong. So keep it up. We really don't care. Um, this is the truth. This is what we're, we're, we're seeking. This is the mission of this podcast is to bring out all of the things that are going wrong in New York City, because I truly believe as goes New York City, as goes the world, because you people are just going to follow us wherever we go and bring in the same type of nonsense that's happening here. So we're fighting back. This has got to change. Civilian Complaint Review Board is a completely biased, partial agency. It should no longer. It should it should either be completely revamped or abolished. I think that we proved today, based on the evidence that we presented, the Civilian Complaint Review Board is completely partial to the civilian. They reverse engineer their cases. They act completely on emotion, anger, and frustration, and just a complete disdain for police, disdain for police work. It's completely obvious that they're an arm of the woke progressive movement, and the police officers stand no chance. So I ask you, start calling your unions, police officers, sergeants, lieutenants, detectives, if you're out there in the street, and you're getting civilian complaints because you're doing intrusive police work, or if you just care, call your unions and ask, why do I continue to pay union dues if you don't care? Where is this money going? Because I guess, I tell you what, if you band together and you stop paying your union dues, you will force them to care. Ask yourself, do I really need a union? If I'm in a pickle, I'm getting a private attorney. I'm still, I'm still privy to medical and dental. So ask yourself, what has your union done for you that you couldn't do for yourself? As you know, I asked John a question today, and I'm going to ask it to you. Has there ever been a time in your career that you said to yourself, 
Thank God there's a union. Man, I couldn't have made it without them. If you have that moment, please call us at the retired, at, at the finest unfiltered. Please let us know about that incident because I can't think of one. Let New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast know about that incident. Bring it up on this podcast. I'm curious to hear about it because I can't think of one. I myself was silenced during the time where I was attacked by an overseller's civilian complaint review board. So ask yourself that. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I think that you, could, you, you got a good idea of what exactly is going on in the inner linings of the Civilian Complaint Review Board from this little snippet here. Again, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for watching us. We still have shirts available. I'm wearing it right now at Myers, Staten Island, Brooklyn, and the Bronx. You can get it online, so please check it out. 265 Police Live. Thank you, everyone, for watching. John, thank you, brother. No problem. Anytime. Yeah, guys. And just give us a like, a subscribe, wherever, wherever you listen to us, wherever you watch us, please. We're just trying to, uh, we're trying to maintain this brand and keep, and keep putting out content, but we can't do it. If you're not liking our videos, if you're not subscribing, uh, we, we put a lot of time into this, obviously, if you can't tell. Um, and again, you know, if anybody's having financial concerns, you're scared about your financial future, please contact our friends at Lee Law Blue. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE.